This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good. It's almost like God, there's someone out there trying to stop us from getting to this reading this morning. It wouldn't come up on the screen and it wouldn't come up for Sheila, but we're here and we're thinking about uh, 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 to 10. Uh, I'm Neil, the associate vicar here, and last week we started our sermon series on 1 John, John's first letter to the churches around him. We talked about the who, the why, the where, and the when, that this was a letter written by John to the churches around Ephesus on the coast of what is now Turkey in the province of Asia. And John is writing this letter to those churches. He's the last probably the last surviving direct disciple of Jesus. And he's trying to teach that uh, message of Jesus that he's received from Jesus himself to the churches that he's in charge of. And we're going to look a bit more today at how this letter is a letter that is written against the false teaching that was happening in the churches at that time. But first, I want you to imagine that you are in Ephesus in the year AD 90. What is the same and what is different? There's actually quite a lot that's the same because Ephesus was a port city. It had uh, lots of trade coming through it. It had uh, ships leaving from the docks. Uh, there was a city council. There was a big market. And uh, there were around... Uh, they think 200,000 people lived in and around Ephesus. And they had a stadium where the people met together to... Uh, um, let me just get uh, on with these slides. Uh, they had a stadium where uh, they met together. And uh, they also had lots of temples uh, in Ephesus. We're going to get to the temples in a minute. Um, but uh, all of those things were similar... The stadium held about 20,000 people, so similar to the stadium that we have in our city. It was a big place, it was a thriving place, it was a port city, and a bit like Portsmouth, uh, it was there on the coast. And those are similarities, but what was different? Well, obviously, they didn't have any of the technology that we have. So what would you do of an evening in Ephesus? There's no TV to watch, there's no radio to listen to, there's no um, uh, YouTube or Facebook to connect with. Uh, what did people do in the evenings in Ephesus? There might be the occasional 
uh, theatre going on uh, uh, in the stadium. There uh, might be uh, something to uh, connect to in a tavern or uh, a place of meeting. But what most people did in those far-off days was they went to temples uh, like these, temples in Ephesus in the evenings to get together. And the temples were places that were a bit like clubs or societies that we have today. In the temples, and there were lots of temples, if you had a guidebook to ancient Ephesus, a bit like this one that I have with me today, and you turn to page 12, where there's a map of Ephesus, you'll see that on the map, on the city street, there's lots and lots of temples. There were temples to the Roman gods, there were temples to other gods. There's a temple to an Egyptian god. Isis has a temple in Ephesus at this time. There's the great temple to Artemis, to Diana, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, a huge building um, that has uh, within it um, uh, 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 something that's fallen from the sky, uh, 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 a meteorite. Uh, is, is it within the temple and it's part of the temple and people come from far and wide to visit the temples in Ephesus. Uh, on the high street, there are temples to four different Roman emperors and in each of the temples, there are priests and teachers and there are different ways of meeting and different ways to sacrifice the food that you would eat, different ways uh, of getting together and being part of the club. The temples all across Ephesus were where people met and where they found their identity. And um, a little bit of random uh, knowledge, if you look at the, uh, the, the, the relief uh, on the right-hand side of the picture, that's uh, come from the temple of the goddess Nike. And Nike uh, is the god of victory. And it is said, you can take it all or not, that the little tick in her dress uh, is the tick that the company Nike decided to use for their brand. And that's where it came from. So if anyone says, uh, uh, where did that Nike tick come from? You can tell them it came from a statue in Ephesus. Um, a bit of random knowledge, but there we are. The temples were where people connected. The temples were where people found their identity. And we have to say that still goes on today, doesn't it? People like to find places where they can get together and be part of something bigger. For many people, it's singing on the terraces of Fratton Park on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. Singing and becoming part of a bigger crowd, feeling that your identity is bigger than just yourself. Other people find identity in other places. There's lots of different clubs that people can join, aren't there? from the Women's Institute to uh, the Campaign for Real Ale. If we can move on to, that's it, to the next slide. There's lots of ways that people find their identity. I was on a coach trip once and I got talking to the coach driver and I told him what I did and he said, oh, that's great. And he said, this is where I worship. And he pulled up uh, his trouser leg and on the back of his calf was a tattoo of the crest of Liverpool Football Club. He said, this is where I worship. There are different places where people go to find identity, aren't there? In the same way, 
lots of people were connected in lots of different ways in the ancient world. And then the followers of Jesus arrived. And here was something new, something different, something that crashed in on this culture. It was made, the Jewish, uh, it, the belief in Jesus came from the Jewish faith, didn't it? Jesus was Jewish, all his followers were Jewish. They prayed Jewish prayers, they knew the Jewish scriptures. The, a Jewish faith landed in a Greek culture. So Jesus and his followers arrive at this intersection between Greek thought and Jewish faith. And the first uh, writings of the New Testament are written in Greek, but written by Jews. So there's this intersection. And this intersection creates uh, our faith. It creates this amazing faith that we have. And it brings together two different ways of thinking. Because the Jewish faith was based upon their wisdom literature. The first five books, the most important books of the Jewish scriptures were the Torah, the law, the books of the law. So the Jewish faith had the law and it had lots of rules and rituals within it. The Greek thought was, came from the philosophers and it was much more about stories and ideas. So the stories and the ideas were the way that the Greeks saw the world. And this sort of fits with a left brain and right brain way of thinking. If we could have the next slide. Jonathan, sorry, this doesn't seem to be working very well today. On our left brain side, we think in linear ways about rules and boxes and lots of uh, linear things. In our right brain, we think in lots of creative, swirly um, ways that lead us into lots of different ideas. And these two ways of thinking come together, as you'd expect perhaps, in Jesus. Because Jesus did teach about laws and ways to live. In the Sermon on the Mount, there's teaching, direct, obvious teaching about how to lead our lives. But Jesus also told brilliant stories, didn't he? And he told the parables that just opened our minds up to new ideas. In Jesus, both these ways of thinking come together. Here was a kind of wisdom that the world had never encountered before. And so it attracted lots of different people who tried to make sense of it, who tried to reframe it in a way that they could understand. And the temple priests and their teachers would obviously want in on some of the action. Suddenly, all their people are going to join this Christian faith. So they'd want to find out, what was it about this new faith? What was it that was attracting people into this church of Jesus to become followers of his way. They were the ones who wanted to know things and keep knowledge to themselves in their dark temples that would meet at night in the shadows, in the caves. But Jesus' teaching was a teaching that was always out in the open, wasn't it? He'd teach on the hillsides in Galilee, or he'd teach in the temple courts in Jerusalem, he'd teach during the daytime. Very rarely did Jesus teach at night. The cults and the temples were hidden places of teaching. It was a way of holding on to power. There were 
secret initiations. But Jesus wanted to bring the knowledge of the light of God out into the world. And this is the context in which this letter is written. People are trying to make Christianity into a mystery religion, into a cult, into a sect, because that's what they're used to and that's what they can stay in control of. But the Christian faith isn't like that. You can't put Jesus in a box. I've tried. It doesn't fit in a box. He's always escaping. He's always getting out. He's always bigger than you expect him to be. Jesus said, didn't he, that the light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of the light. Jesus saw that this was what was going to happen. His light was going to shine, but the people would want to hold on to the darkness. And so at this time, at the end of the first century, these teachers who were on the edge and trying to make sense of the Christian faith were known as the Gnostics. And uh, you spell Gnostics with a G. And agnostic is somebody who doesn't know what they believe. Gnostics are those who know what they believe. Gnostics are people who search after the truth, who search after knowledge. And the Gnostics were teachers who wanted to divide the world and everything in it into two different spheres, the spiritual and the physical. And for the Gnostics, the physical was bad and the spiritual was good. And it really clashed with the Jewish way of thinking because in the Jewish way of thinking, our bodies are good and the substance, the world that God made is good, isn't it? But in the Greek thought, there was this idea that you could escape from the physical in order to reach the divine. And so the Gnostics were teaching people that there was a way to escape from the world, to escape into the divine presence and to become perfect so that you'd no longer be touched by sin for them, they wanted Jesus just to be another teacher with some more ideas to add to all of their ideas. They didn't want Jesus to be the saviour of the world. They didn't want him to be the centre of the faith. They wanted their knowledge to be the centre of the faith. Jesus wouldn't allow that, would he? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me will never walk in darkness. It's about knowing Jesus. Jesus is where our faith rests. I was with um, the Bishop of uh, Portsmouth, Bishop Jonathan, up in the youth hall on Monday evening uh, at a meeting, and he said something that just fits in with all of this, uh, something that um, I want to share with you this morning. And Bishop Jonathan had heard it from someone else, but he said, he said this, the Christian faith is about formation not information. The Christian faith is about formation, not information. It's about who we are becoming. Are we becoming more like Jesus? That's what the Christian faith is about. Spending time with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did. Are we becoming like Jesus? Are we being formed into his likeness? It's not, the Christian faith is not just about head knowledge. If we try and make it just about head knowledge, then it will fail to be all that it can be. 
And unfortunately, some parts of the church have taken that turning, that dead end of trying to go back to making Christianity about the ritual, about the head knowledge, about learning how to do things that, that separates us from the world. Some parts of the church are a bit like a club that you have to join and you have to learn how to do the stuff in order to become part of who they are. But in the end, our faith is about a personal relationship with Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It's not difficult. It's about formation, not information. On my own journey, I uh, became a Christian when I was at university and I grappled with all the different aspects of how to become a Christian. And I'd already looked at existentialism and Buddhism and other ways of doing life. And Christianity suddenly made sense in my head. And I knew that it was true. But then, a bit after university, I had a, 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 a tough time. And three bad things happened. A friend of mine who I'd been through university died of stomach cancer, and then my sister developed multiple sclerosis, and the girlfriend that I had at the time developed an incurable chronic disease. And all, suddenly, all around me, all these people were suffering. And I got cross and angry with God, and I said, how can you let all this suffering happen? I'm trying to follow you, and all these bad things keep happening. And I turned away, and I didn't go to church for three or four years because I was so angry with God. And what brought me back was an experience of the Holy Spirit, an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I had head knowledge, but it had to go to my heart. And once that Holy Spirit got into my heart, then I was ready to surrender everything to him. And over time, I gave up my career and my nice house and my good job and all the things that, that went with it. Because I'd encountered Jesus in my heart. If it's all about our heads, we'll never get there. We might make some progress. We might understand better. But we will never get there until we meet Jesus in our hearts. Allow his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. The aim of the Gnostic teachers was to live a perfect life to think your way out of trouble. But the false teachings that they were sharing were not helping people to get right with God. Because as John says in this letter, if we claim to be without sin, we're not telling the truth, are we? We all mess up. We all make mistakes. We all go on making mistakes. If we claim to be without sin, we're liars. It's only through confession and forgiveness that we find peace with God. We are made righteous, not by what we do or what we know, but by what Jesus has done and his sacrifice made once for all upon the cross. He clothes us with his holiness. This is how we can approach God, because of what he has done. This life is not like a game of blind man's bluff where we have blindfolds and we can't see our way and we're always searching for the secret of success. That's not the way this life was made to be. That would be a 
cruel way for God to set up this world, wouldn't it? That's not the way it is. Jesus came to reveal God, to make his presence known amongst us, that God is light, that Jesus is Lord, and in him we find our freedom. We've made Christianity sometimes much too complicated and too difficult for people to connect with. And it's simple. It's simple. It's a simple prayer of trusting and believing in Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus through his Holy Spirit. And this is accessible to all. Jesus didn't choose the brightest and the cleverest people to be his disciples, did he? Thank goodness he chose the ordinary people like you and me. He could have gone and found the finest minds that there were in Jerusalem if he'd wanted to create a wisdom religion, a a Gnostic understanding of the world. But he didn't. He found ordinary people and he brought them into his life and lived life with them. We trust and believe that Jesus is Lord and we give our lives to him. We believe and trust in him. And we welcome his Holy Spirit to come and dwell with us. Jesus is Lord. Come Holy Spirit. Help me to live a life of love. That's our prayer. That's who we want to be. It's not any more complicated than that. Light and life and love. It really is simple. It really is just about coming and meeting Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, help me to walk in the light. This is all that we need to do. This is all that we need to be, followers of Jesus, living in his love, walking in his light. So let's pause for a moment. Lord Jesus, we know that you are with us, that whenever we gather together, you are here amongst us. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would touch our hearts, would fill our souls. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us today. Come and be with us here and now. Come and make your presence known amongst us. Lord, we long for a deeper experience of your love. We long to know you better in our lives. Help us always and only to trust and believe in you. Lord, be with us now and forever. Amen. Just to say that uh, we're recommending, Adam and I uh, have come across this book, and we're recommending this book as a really good read uh, if you want something to read over the next few weeks. All those bank holidays that that are coming up, something to keep you busy. Um, It's um, by a man called John McGinley, and it's called The Church of Tomorrow, and it's, it's, it's a vision. It's a call for the church Uh, to become more focused on Jesus and to become 
more dependent on him. So the uh, chapter titles are these. Jesus is Lord, dependent on the Holy Spirit, confident in the gospel, a disciple-making community, churches that plant churches, a diverse leadership, a holy people prioritizing prayer. That's a great blueprint for a church, isn't it? So um, if you do get time and uh, you've got space, um, then um, switch something off and read this instead and, um, and make this um, part of uh, our journey together. We're reading it as a staff team and we're encouraging um, the house groups, the life groups to read it. So um, do find a copy. Um, uh, if you look on the, the news sheet, the weekly news sheet, there's a way to get a, a slightly cheaper copy on there. Brilliant. Let's stand and let's sing our final song that speaks of Jesus.